Uh, I'm ready to move forward and I'm, I'm excited about this message. You may remember that last week in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, we found that the efforts to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem were being stalled by attacks from outside the city. These rebuilders were being harassed, they were being ridiculed, and they were even being threatened with physical violence by enemies that didn't want that wall to be built. Well, Nehemiah helped God's people to understand that nobody's able to deal with those kinds of threats by themselves. We need each other. Amen? We need each other. Teamwork makes the dream work. Amen? I pray that you remember that little slogan. We want to remember that we can do great and mighty things in the name of the Lord if we will just come together and work together as a team. So we found that Nehemiah set guards uh, at night while other people were sleeping. And then during the day, one would hold a weapon while another one was using a tool to help rebuild that wall. So again, together... Together, they had the courage to face their fear and stay the course of rebuilding that wall around the city of Jerusalem. But we also found that as God's agenda kind of unfolds, there is opposition that will also come from other directions. Right? When God's plans move forward... We can trust that God's enemy is going to move into action. Amen? We know that. Now last week, the opposition came externally. It came from outside the wall. But this week, we're going to find that opposition comes from within. Opposition to God's will sometimes comes from Within, But just like the external resistance, the internal conflict has the same effect. The work of God stops. So we need to be careful to address this. So today, on page 431 in the Bibles in front of you, if you want to follow along, in Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to see four moves. Four moves that Nehemiah made to address, to confront sin from within. Follow along with me. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses first. Because we must realize that right out of the gate, we recognize that this is a serious problem. We can't have the work of God being stalled for any reason. Work had ground to a halt, and as time passed, much resentment began to grow. So we recognize that the first move that Nehemiah made was the fact that he had to address and take a stand against abuse. That's right. There was abuse amongst the people of God. Let's look in verse 1 in chapter 5. Remember, Nehemiah is writing in his journal here. Okay? And he's recording the events. Uh, that are going on as he and God's people rebuild the wall. And here's what he writes in verse 1. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives 
against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We, our sons, and our daughters are many. Let us eat grain so that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We've had to mortgage our lands and our vineyards and our houses so that we might buy grain in the midst of this famine. There were also those who said, we had to borrow money in order to pay the king's tax on our land, in our vineyards. And yet now they say, our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren and our children as their children. Indeed, we are having to force our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Wow. And it's not in our power to redeem them from their slavery. For other men have our lands. Other men own our vineyards. So we must take a stand against abuse in any shape, form, or fashion within the body of Christ. But I want you to notice something. It's basically the wives that recognize this. It's the women in the camp that recognize the problem. Can I just say right here, men... If you know of a woman in your life, if you have a woman in your life, listen to her. Amen. She knows what she's talking about, right? We need to start listening more effectively to the women in our life, the mothers and the wives, etc. Because basically here, it's the women that recognize there's a big problem, right? It's the women who are the most sensitive to the injustice that's going on that affects the homes that they supervise. People all around Jerusalem, they had taken this huge step of faith. They had left their normal trades. They left their professions. They left their farms to make sure that this wall was rebuilt to protect and to provide for the future of God's people. And the women recognized that something was wrong. Something was definitely wrong. However, back home, outside the walls, back in the villages and the communities, there was hunger, there was debt, there was slavery, and there was a whole lot of greed. There was this massive shortage of food, a famine. And many people in the land were actually going hungry in order to have enough food. Many had to mortgage their fields. They had to mortgage their vineyards. They actually had to use their homes as collateral for a loan to buy food for their families. Can you see the injustice? Can you see the abuse? But the grievance doesn't stop there. For not only are prices sky high, we know what that's like, don't we? Not only are taxes over the top, we know what that's like too, don't we? Amen. But there were some who were so destitute. They were so poor that they actually had to sell themselves and they had to sell their children into slavery. Do you see the problem? 
So the mamas are asking, why do we have to sell our children into slavery? The mamas are asking, if we're doing such a great thing in rebuilding this wall around Jerusalem, then why are there people in the villages and communities that are being neglected? Why are some people being treated so poorly? And you know what? They were right. There were some people, some of God's people were being treated horribly. But you know, that's what the lure of money will do. The lure of money can be so subtle. And when greed sets in, perspective gets lost. Let us remember that. And here was the problem. There were some of God's people who were making big money by charging ridiculous interest to their brothers and sisters in the family. Instead of offering a helping hand to the poor who were among them, they were in essence hurting the poor by charging them interest on loans. And what we really need to know is we can see the surface injustice there, but the bigger problem was this. What they were doing was a direct violation of God's Word. In Exodus 22, verse 25, God says clearly, if you lend money to my people, any of my people who is poor, you shall not be like the money lender, and you shall not exact interest to that poor person who is among you. But these wealthier people seem to be just outright ignoring the Word of God. And that brings us to the second move if we're going to confront sin from within. And that is we must be willing to not only address abuse, we must also be willing to listen to the accusations. Check it out in verse 6. Nehemiah continues in his journal... And says, and I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Nehemiah is good and ticked off. And says, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and I said to them, each of you is exacting usury or interest from his brother. So I called a great assembly among them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. But now we sell our brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced. They were silenced. And the Bible says, they found nothing to say. Then Nehemiah said, what you are doing is not good. What you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God? Because of our reproach of the nations and because of our enemies? They recognized, my friends, an accusation. 
You know, believers should be angered by injustice. When you see injustice in this world, it should really fire you up. When you see injustice in the family of God, you should be really fired up. Nehemiah is totally outraged. But you really got to appreciate his wisdom here because he doesn't react out of his emotions. He doesn't react to the situation because he's mad. Right? He seriously thinks things through. He thinks about these accusations that are being made and he concludes that sin has got to be confronted no matter where it is. We need to understand that too. Nehemiah could not would not allow a violation of God's law to continue to be perpetuated by the people of God. Furthermore, it was a violation of basic human rights. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that these people were being abused. And so what does he do? He speaks to it directly. And he does it in two ways. The first way is a private face-to-face confrontation. Nehemiah didn't talk to everybody else first and then come to the people who were guilty and talk to them. No, he went straight to the ones who needed to understand how their actions were affecting God's people. It was wrong in every way for these nobles and these officials to charge interest to poor brothers and sisters who only wanted to eat. It was wrong to, to charge these people that incredible interest, these people who were made in the image of God. All they wanted to do was feed their families. So it had to stop. You see, God's people cannot give in to the me first mentality. We've got to be others minded. We can't give in to that mentality, especially from leaders. Right? So after this private face-to-face confrontation, Nehemiah decides he's going public. Why? Well, he's going public because this was really a public matter. Consider this. Homes, families, and the whole community was at risk. And it had to be made right. Not only were they at risk, but also this was an offense against God's character. The very character of God. These nobles were directly disobeying what God had commanded. And so it showed clearly that they didn't really care what God had to say. And that was a problem. So, charging that ridiculous interest to poor brothers and sisters made in the image of God in the midst of a famine was not only a violation of God's word and basic human rights, It not only put homes and families in the community at risk. It was not only an offense against the character of God. Nehemiah added, it's a lousy testimony. It's a lousy testimony. How could God's people be the light of the world? A light to the world if they're treating each other like this. Who would believe in a kind and merciful and compassionate God if His own people were not kind, merciful, and compassionate? 
it was a lousy testimony. But here's the good news. Their response says it all. The nobles and those officials charging that ridiculous interest knew that what they were doing was wrong. And that led them to a third move if you're going to confront sin from within. And that is we must heed needed admonition. Now, admonition is a fancy word for warning. We better heed the warning. Check it out in verse 10. Nehemiah continues, I also, now that's the problem right there. Nehemiah says, I also, with my brethren and my servants, here we go, am lending them money and grain. Let us stop this usury. Let us stop this interest. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, a hundredth of their money, the grain, the new wine, the oil, all that you have charged them. And so the nobles and the officials said, we will. We will restore it. We will require nothing from them. And we will do exactly what you say. Then I called the priests. And I required an oath from them that they would do according to their promise. And then I shook out the fold of my garment and I said, So may God shake you out if you don't perform this promise. Even thus, be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. Praise God. And they praised the Lord and the people, here's the important part, The people did according to their promise. They did according to their promise. Now, we see here that when a relationship gets broken, it's very important to mend that broken relationship, especially within the family of God. Repentance was needed. Restitution was a must. This had to be made right And so these leaders, they needed to understand that if one of us bleeds, then we all bleed. If one of us gets hurt, then we all get hurt. We're in this together, and teamwork makes the... I love y'all to pieces. (laughs) Praise God. And even though, check this out, even though it appears, it appears in verse 10 that Nehemiah himself has been charging interest. Nehemiah himself has been loaning grain and food to these poor people in the midst of a famine. He still makes the same conclusion. This has got to stop. Nehemiah says, let us, me included, make this right. Let's all get on the same page and let's all correct this injustice. And here we find that they do agree. We will do it. But Nehemiah ain't letting them off the hook just that easy. Because a promise this serious cannot be an empty promise. This was no time for empty promises. Decisions this big have got to be reinforced. And so what does he do? He uses his position to help them to realize just how serious this promise was. We've got to make this right, he said. 
And he says, if you don't keep your promise, if you don't follow God's word, if you don't assist the poor people in the land, you are going to become as destitute as the poorest Israelite in the whole nation. That got their attention because they didn't want to lose none of that do-re-mi, amen? But here's the good news. We're told that they not only agreed, but they also did it too. They stopped the practice of charging that ridiculous interest and they made restitution to all the poorest of Israel. Conviction came. Repentance followed. And praise God, they changed their ways. Sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. We need to realize when we receive a conviction from the Holy Spirit and we need to be willing to turn from that sin and change our ways. I pray that your heart and your spirit is open to the point where you can hear the Spirit's calling on your life. Now we come to the end and to the fourth move that Nehemiah made in order to confront sin from within. And that is we must move ahead in godly awe. Check it out in verse 14. Moreover, Nehemiah writes, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of the king Artaxerxes, 12 years, I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me had laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver, likely a tax. Taxing the poor people on top of everything else. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued to work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work, and at my table, at my table, Nehemiah says, at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came from us from nations around. Now that was, which was prepared daily, was an ox and six choice sheep, a fowl were prepared, and once every ten days an abundance of all kind of wine. Now, in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on the people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. It's at this point in the whole chapter that we find out why Nehemiah was respected so much by these people. Yeah, he's the governor and he deserves their respect because of his position, but it was much more than that. Because it also becomes clear what is exactly motivating Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah wasn't in this to win favor. Nehemiah is not in this to try to gain re-election. Nehemiah is not in this to get a paycheck. Nehemiah's motivation 
was simply he had a fear of God. He had a fear of God. And that shows us, friends, that we must love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Because when we love God, we will honor His name. When we love God, we will obey His word. When we love God, we will keep the vision that He has set on our hearts. And when we love God, we will love the people that God loves. Amen? Because we are called. We are called to love one another. We are called to love each other. You see, Nehemiah was not in Jerusalem to get. Nehemiah was in Jerusalem to give. To give. He wasn't there for profit, for power, or prestige. He could have taxed the people to keep the government running. Nehemiah could have taxed the people to line his own pockets. But he didn't, and he wasn't about to start now. In fact, that passage showed us that Nehemiah used his own personal resources to feed over 150 nobles and officials so that they wouldn't be a burden to the people. Nehemiah was a pretty good leader. See, when we love God and when we love people, we want to stay connected with both. When we truly love God, we want to stay connected with Him. And when we truly love the people whom He loves, we want to stay connected with them too. Now this chapter ends with another one of those short breath prayers that Nehemiah has become famous for. Right there in verse 19. Look how he says it. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Right there you see that Nehemiah's relationship with God was his number one priority. Is it yours? Above everything else in your life, is God your number one priority? I think that this has to be true for all of us if we're going to be a part of the family of God. Because if God is our priority, you know what else is going to happen? We're going to have courage to confront sin in our own lives and in the family. Sometimes it has to be confronted. We won't be able to let sin go unattended. Sin is too costly for those who are involved in the sin. And whether we realize it or not, that sin affects other people too. I read that there's never a right time to do wrong. And there's never a wrong time to do right. That'd be something good to live by, wouldn't it? So let's remember that when we have unchecked sin in our life, it dishonors God, first of all. But when we have unchecked sin in our life, it also hinders His people. And it also prevents us from fulfilling our God-given purpose as a church family. So let's be holy because God is holy. Let's live faithfully because our God is faithful. 
We are made in the image of God. Let's honor him. Let's worship him with the lives we live. I read something else that said, the very best argument for Christianity is Christians. And I look at y'all and I say, Lord, just look at their faith. Lord, look at their joy. Lord, look at the peace they enjoy. Look at the work they do for you. Just look at their walk with Jesus. And then I read the second sentence that also said, the strongest argument against Christianity is also, you guessed it, Christians. When we are dismal and joyless, when I act holier than thou, when I serve half-heartedly, when I follow the ways of the world instead of following the ways of Jesus, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. When I pick my own way, when I choose my own desires over God's word, I am choosing an agenda that is completely contrary to God. And here's the kicker. When I choose my way, when I choose my desires, we all suffer. When you choose your way, we all suffer. So I ask you, do you have unchecked sin in your life? Is there something that needs to be confronted in your life? Is the Spirit of God speaking to you about something that needs to change in your life? Well, if you're going contrary to the ways of God and you know it, I want you to be assured of something. If you're listening, say amen. If you're going contrary to the ways of God and you know it, be assured of this. You are rebelling against God. And furthermore, you're hurting those in your life. If you recognize sin in your life today, will you have the courage to confront it? If the Lord is speaking to you about something in your life that needs to change, do you have the courage to change it? The greatest news for us is that we have God's unfailing love. God's unfailing love that has allowed His own Son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. That He would suffer and die on a cross like that one. And that He would do it for you, and He would do it for me. Will you come as you are? You don't have to get perfect. You ain't got to get right to come to Christ. Let him confront the sin in your life. You just come and receive the forgiveness he offers. That forgiveness that only the repayment that Jesus gave on that cross can provide. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way you confront sin. 
He said, I am the truth. I'm the truth about confronting sin in your life. He said, I am the life. I'm the life you live after that sin has been confronted. And no man comes to the Father, no man goes to heaven, and no man can have forgiveness of sin apart from me. My friends, today's decision time, our invitation time, is going to be just a little bit different. I want it to be open today. Maybe you'd like to just pray. Can I tell you that there would be no greater privilege for me to just have a special prayer with you, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be about sin necessarily. Maybe you have a need for special prayer. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Jesus because you recognize that Jesus gave his life for you. You can come if that's the way the Lord is leading you. Maybe you have placed your faith in Jesus a long time ago, but you realize that you have neglected the first order of obedience, and that's baptism. He wants you to be baptized. And furthermore, you may be looking for a family to join. Maybe you want to be a part of a church family that really has a focus on the future of God's people here. My point is, is that no matter how God is speaking to you this morning, you can come. We'll pray. I'll show you what the Bible says about being saved from sin, if that's your desire. If you want to move forward in believer's baptism, hey, we've got some baptisms that are going to be happening soon, and you can plug right into that. But I'm so proud of my family. And I know this family is future-minded. And we are looking forward to what God is going to do in our midst. And I pray you are too. Let me pray for you today. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for your word and its power of conviction. Lord, let us have, have its work in our lives to lead us to repent, lead us to change, uh, lead us in, and draw us into a closer relationship with you. Uh, Father, no matter what decision needs to be made today, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, Father, you would just lead your people uh, to uh, just fall uh, into your desires and move away from their own ways and desires. Father, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of a family that loves you, loves Jesus, and, and loves people uh, the way that it does. Lord, we are looking forward to what you have in our future. But, Lord, we also understand clearly that there's plenty of work to do in the here and now. Lord, let us be faithful, and let us honor you by the way we serve people. In Jesus' name we ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing.